Welcome to The Mushroom's Apprentice. I'm your host, Shona Holm. Veda Austin is a water researcher, public speaker, mother, artist, and author. She has dedicated the last 10 years to observing and photographing the life of water. She believes that water is fluid intelligence, observing itself through every living organism on the planet and in the universe. Her primary area of focus is photographing water in its, quote, state of creation, the space between liquid and ice. It is through her remarkable crystallographic photos that water reveals its awareness of not only creation, capital C, but thought and intention through imagery. Theta states on her website, quote, Water is the rebel element. It won't conform to the laws of physics or gravity, and it can't be killed. Without it, there is no life. It reincarnates for all to see, and science tells us it came to Earth from outer space. Rebellious, nonconformist, eternal, and alien. Just look at the power we are filled with. End quote. Veda's website is vedaaustin.com, and there you will find numerous examples of the extraordinary photos taken of the response of water to her communication. And as well, you'll find workshops and events that Veda offers, including her instruction on how to do this process yourself. And if you can be patient for another couple more months, Veda is coming out with a new book, and I cannot wait to get my hands on that. So we are going to learn a lot this episode. Welcome, Veda. Oh, thank you so much. It's, it's always so interesting hearing my bio read back to me because I'm like, well, it, it's never changed. You know, it's like, yes, this is how I, how I think, how I feel. And it's been so consistent over the last 10 years that I, when I wrote that, I'm like, yeah, I really do genuinely feel like that. And what I keep seeing in water keeps showing me these incredible um, kind of revelations of water daily. So thank you for reading that. I, I often don't hear it uh, so often anymore. Oh, you are so welcome. I think that really shows that you're in the fullness of your authenticity. This is clearly your dharma. You're, you're here. And which is why that would just stay consistent. It makes perfect sense. So I would love for you to share with my listeners, first of all, your backstory, because your backstory alone could be a book and a Hollywood movie. So, I mean, it's just really crazy and extraordinary. So I'm going to give you the floor, Veda. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, uh, my journey with water has certainly been an interesting one. Uh, so over well over 20 years ago now uh, I was in a horrendous car accident um, I was the passenger and we went under a seven-ton truck rolled twice and the driver died immediately he was decapitated it was one of the worst accidents in New Zealand where someone lived and when you see a picture of the car it's unimaginable uh, that anyone could have survived it. I remember my friend Brent watching it on the news uh, before he knew that I had been in it. And he said to me when he watched, he said, I, did, I thought at that moment, how could anybody survive that? And so I had um, eight surgeries over the course of 20 years uh, and um, most of them were for bowel surgery because when um, when the, we had the car accident, um, the uh, seatbelt wrapped around my uh, waist as it's supposed to. It, it also crushed my collarbone, um, but it crushed a lot of my internal organs. So they had, had internal bleeding. And in fact, uh, three doctors told me that I would never be able to conceive because it was all around the ovaries and uterus. And so I, I, I parked what they said on the bench. <laughs> um, but because I, I think it's, it's quite difficult when you get told that your body can't do something. Um, and so I ended up having three children for every doctor that told me I couldn't. <laughs> Not because I'm so rebellious, but 
but because literally I just put what they said on the shelf uh, because I'm like, well, we just don't know. And I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, the surgeries were, they, they, I mean, that just went on and on. I also had stage four endometriosis of which I had surgeries for. So it really is amazing that I have children at all. Um, the car accident, um, well, if I'm honest with you, of which I may as well be because uh, it's just that I don't often share this part, was that uh, it wasn't actually an accident. The guy looked at me and he said, if I can't have you, nobody can. And he turned the car into the truck on purpose. Uh, he had become clinically depressed. He had become obsessed with me. And um, there's a long story which would take even longer, but it's really a miracle that I'm here. And one of the beautiful things that uh, came from all of this, and there have been many, um, really, was that uh, my, my youngest son, Rama, when he was nearly three, um, it was the day before the second big Christchurch earthquake, because I was in both. And uh, he was spying on me. And I had a, a, a new friend. She was a friend of my friend. And she'd come to Christchurch. And we were talking. And she, she was a nurse. And she was asking me about my car accident, which, which I really hadn't shared too much about back then. And so I told her the whole story not just the the car accident story, the story of what actually happened. And uh, my son, like I said, he was nearly three and he was spying on me and he would he had a habit of doing that and spying and hiding in really good places so I didn't actually even know he was there. And he hadn't heard about the car accident. Like I hadn't sat him down and had a conversation with him because he's just a little guy. And as soon as I finished, you know, he jumped out of his hiding place and he jumped up onto my lap. And so matter of fact, he said, I remember that, mummy. I remember the window wipers and the tires. And I came down out of the clouds and I went like this and I saved you. And when I knew you were okay, I climbed back up the ladder into the clouds. He also mentioned that he was angry at the man. Wow. And he wanted to protect me. And, you know, he, he, he said some things that he, he shouldn't have been able to know. Right. Like the window wipers, it was starting to, it was rain. The window wipers were, were, were going. Um, and he saw these tires, which were like, there was just too many things in that short little thing he said that were too accurate. Oh, and people literally said, when they see a picture of the, 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 the mangled car, that there is like a cocoon around me where I was. So I was looked after. There is no doubt about it. I was absolutely looked after. But I had years of, of um, recovery, really. And on my last surgery, <clears throat> doctors, I went in for bowel surgery, actually. And, um, and it, because where the seatbelt had crushed my internal organs, it left scar tissue on my small bowel and that scar tissue grew. So every time I try and eat, I would just vomit and vomit and vomit and be in agonizing pain. And after having children now, I can say it was like being in labor almost every day. And I ended up just being on it on um, IV um, drip. And uh, I'd always recover after getting getting that because I wasn't eating, but I'm like, well, I actually really also would like to be able to eat. That would be really nice. And so um, they, the scar, where they did the bowel surgery, the scar tissue kept growing. And so I had to have it again. And so I had it for the third and last time, thank God, um, quite a few years ago now. And they put a stent in my small bowel and that's worked very well. Um, but when I woke up, I had doctors standing around me looking very concerned. And they said, well, you didn't recover very well. And you have showers of blood clots in your lungs. And you have to be on warfarin, which is a blood thinner, potentially for the rest of your life. 
and I'm like just coming around out of the anesthetic and I'm like what because I'm in my early 20s like I I'm I've never I don't drink alcohol you know I've been vegetarian since I was eight I've been pretty holistic my whole life you know I don't do drugs like all these kinds of things I'm like what do you mean what do you mean <laughs> why and so um I was I was told that if I didn't do this you know I was going to die and so um I took warfarin for several months and then uh, they did an x-ray and they could see there were no more clots and they couldn't actually tell me why it happened, which was really difficult, the not knowing. Um, but there was something inside of me and by that time I'd had children. And so um, I already knew my body could heal. So that something inside of me was like, your body can heal. And so they the doctor would have liked me to stay taking the blood thinners but there was a part of me that just said no and and i really really say this is my journey i'm not saying this is not advice for other people and this is what i did and i chose that to to stop taking it and live the healthiest life i could and i wanted to really maintain my um my, and, and improve my level of health maintain as in like I had always been healthy so I'm like okay I'm going to continue to be healthy but what more is there I ended up talking to a friend who was a medical doctor but practiced Ayurvedic medicine and um, and he said look off the record why don't you just start drinking naturally alkaline water it could help to keep your body in balance so I became curious about that and he made an emphasis on natural because one of the differences between ionized water and naturally alkaline water is that naturally alkaline water is stable. It will stay naturally alkaline for long, for years. So it's not, um, it, it doesn't, the, the pH doesn't lower rapidly like ionized water does. And so he was saying this could just be something that you, you know, could be helpful for you. So I thought, well, that sounds easy. And I started becoming the guinea pig of my own health. I did two-week trials on different alkaline waters, some from New Zealand, some from overseas. Um, in New Zealand, uh, we have a lot of springs, and most of them are alkaline, which is really anything above the pH, which means sense of power or potential of hydrogen, over a 7. And distilled water, for example, should be a 7. And anything under a 7 is acidic. So. I, I, other than feeling hydrated, when there are certain signs of hydration, like you don't have brain fog, you, you know, feel like you have more energy, your eyesight's good. There's a lot of factors that people don't even realize when, that it's often the little things they think are wrong, a dehydration. And so I definitely felt hydrated, but I didn't notice anything drastic. Um, and it wasn't until um, a, a client came to see me because I had a wellness center because I have some gifts of healing. And um, they said, you know, there's this old guy, he's got a private source of um, uh, deep um, alkaline water that's coming up through an aquifer. Um, and its pH is 9.9 .9 out of the ground. And he's only giving it to cancer patients. Like maybe you want to try it. So I, I was absolutely signed me up. So I went to go and see him and I told him my story and he go, gave me a month's worth of water to drink. And the when I first drank some, I noticed that it was smoother. It had a slight sweetness uh, and it felt different than a lot of the waters I'd been drinking, which was interesting because a lot of people think all water is the same. But if your body is clean enough, you should be able to taste the difference and tell. On day three, I noticed a change in bowel motions, which when you've had a lot of bowel surgery, you know that's something significant You, for anyone, to be honest, in the world, to be able to have, have regular um, and healthy bowel motions is an indicator of our good health. So I noticed a positive change there. 
Um, I have noticed that there are, after working with water for so long and speaking about water, there are so many nations, it's like constipation nations all around, where people are literally just sitting on the toilet trying to push out a pebble for an hour um, mm -hmm. because they don't want to drink water. They'd rather drink something else. And so that this is a real problem for a lot of people. Then after day 10, on, or on round day 10, sorry, I noticed uh, that I had all these bumps coming up along my arm and along the right side of my jaw. And I knew my body must have been purging, but I really didn't know what <laughs> exactly. And so as gross as this sound, there was one area on my arm that was just big and angry and when I'd rub my finger along it it felt like kind of painful and sharp and I'm like there's something in there I know there's something in there so I got some like sharp tweezers and I started digging away in my arm which oh, I know it sounds awful but I ended up pulling out this little shard of green glass and I'm like oh my god and then I after, between day 10 and 12 I had pulled out 27 pieces of green glass out of my arm and jaw, tiny little pieces, but glass all the same. And I knew exactly where they'd come from because the man in the car owned a, used to own a nightclub. And he um, had borrowed someone else's car. The car that we were in was not his car. He had borrowed someone's car, the lady who, uh, kind of moves the alcohol around from one place to the nightclub and um, there were crates of Steinlager beer in the back which are green glass lager bottles and um, when the car rolled the left side of my body got more of the windscreen and the right side of my body got more of the green glass and the nurses, when I went to hospital, had spent three days picking the glass out of my face and body and head. I have 17 big scars on top of my head from where glass was pulled out. And so um, I, I was so amazed because, you know, it was like, how the heck <laughs> can drinking this water be purging me of this glass that's been in my body for so long. It was shocking to me and amazing at the same time. And so I went on this real investigation because I, I thought, well, you know, maybe it's just me that's having this incredibly detoxifying experience. Um, so I ended up asking people that were coming to the wellness center if they would go on trials, on eight-week trials using this water. And I did this for nearly two years until I sold the house and all the rest happened. Um, and I, my ex-husband and I split and the, the whole stuff. So uh, it was very helpful because I started to get a really good gauge on what this water could do. And what across the board from the very healthy people who were like running marathons and whatnot to the extremely sick people is that everyone's eyesight improved. I always say we see the entire world through the lens of water because our eye lens is 99% highly structured water. And if eyes are the windows to the soul, then tears are an expression of spirit. And this was interesting to me because everybody's eyesight and one lady she had to actually change the prescription on her glasses because her eyesight improved so significantly so quickly wow. which was quite shocking uh, what was one person um had was a fisherman probably still is a fisherman and um he um had a a, a fish fin that had gone between the knuckles of his hand, of his fingers, and he thought he got all of it out. But after drinking the water, he had this like kind of thing starting to bulge between his, his knuckles. And he ended up pulling this bit of like what was actually like a little bit of fossilized fin that bit he hadn't got out of the, you know, the spike. And, um, and so he was having that same purging that I had from something deep down um, within the skin. 
And so, so I started to think, you know, how how is it that this water is doing this? What makes it different from other types of water? So, um, I mean, we would be here for a long time if I went through everybody else's experience. But one thing I'd also say is it really helped people that were suffering from depression. And I think a lot of people that don't realize that we are a sophisticated water system. And if we are not hydrated in the right way, in, in, in a way in which it's not just about quantity of water, it's about quality of water. We are a structured water system. We need, we need we're, which is runoff light, natural light, not artificial light. And which which also is helps create negative charge because we wear shoes all the time. We don't necessarily have our feet on Mother Earth, which is negatively charged, which is one of the ways we can get negative char charge up through into our cells. Healthy cells are negatively charged, made of fourth phase water. There's a liquid solid gas and then a type of gel or plasma. And that type of water expands with infrared light, which could be you know, even just sitting in front of a fire, it's giving off infrared light. Um, and is actually H3O2, which means it has an extra hydrogen and oxygen molecule. And our body converts H2O into this special type of water. But we can give ourselves certain circumstances and drink certain waters that can help our body um, get into the balance it knows how to get into. It's like we think that something's gone wrong. Like I thought something had gone wrong with me because even though I was doing everything right, how could my body do this? Well, my body had gone and had, had, had a, a bit of an acidic condition, which is what happens, you know, when um, you have blood clots. Blood clots are an acidic condition, just like cancer is an acidic condition. And so that's why the doctor recommend I start to drink a more alkaline water it's not going to make you more alkaline, but it can help with acidic conditions because our body's blood works extremely hard at maintaining its pH. And there's a whole, that's a whole another thing. But we actually have a very sophisticated body. It does know how to heal. It really knows how to heal. It needs the environment to help it heal, which is why I think water fasting for periods of time can be extremely helpful. And I would add that one person who was drinking that water, he did a 27-day water fast drinking it. And he had stage four cancer. And he wanted to try fasting before he went down the road of chemotherapy whilst he still had energy. And he also did the inner work. I don't want to just say it was entirely the water. We don't know. He did a lot of inner work, which is vitally important because emotions feelings they need to they kind of move like waves they come up they go down they come up they go down and they can be filtered out through the body through urination and that's a whole nother story there is there is a, that's yeah that's in for another time but he found that halfway through his water fast his tumor had reduced by half but the doctors were still very concerned because he still had cancer and he said, but it's reduced by half. This is this is incredible. I haven't had any chemo. This is amazing. Um, and then three weeks after his 27-day water fast, they couldn't find cancer. It was spontaneous healing. And so, uh, you know, that was remarkable. And he was not the only cancer patient that had healing doing a long water fast drinking this water I'm not saying that is the cure for cancer what I would say is that for anyone that finds that news out before they run to chemo I would try at least a long water fast that would be my go-to it gives your body time to heal before um you know, before you try something else, I'm not saying don't, you know, don't just everybody can do whatever they want. But if someone was to ask my opinion, I would say that a water fast, even for the longest you can, whether it's four days, five days, 10 days, 17 days, 27 days, um, his was pretty radical. 27 days is quite a long time. 
and he did lose weight, but he didn't lose energy. Well, but the distinction is it wasn't municipal water that he was fasting on. It was that spring water. Absolutely. And I wouldn't, and I would say that if you're going to do a water fast, you want to look at that water as your, um, as like a medicine, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so you want to be able to get the cleanest, purest medicine you can for your body. This water medicine is going to be your sustenance for however long it's going to be. You form a relationship with it. You know, um, I would personally go to a spring, connect with that spring, collect the water myself, have a relationship all the way through because that water has the power to share information with you and cleanse your body in a way in which I think we, we, um, we don't even quite realize the significance of what water can do. And your body will tell you if what you need as well. Like my, my husband wanted to do a water fast at the beginning of last year and just a four day water fast. And, um, and he was great. He needed that. He, he did the great, but like day three, and I've done a 17 day water fast when I was really sick and I had amazing results and I didn't like go through huge withdrawals or anything, but day three last year, my body was like, no you don't need this I, I I you know I had to stop day three because I was vomiting up bile and um and so I it could have been that I wasn't drinking enough water I don't know but something was very different than my first long experience when I was actually sick so I've learned to listen to my body and I think I didn't need it at the time because I live very healthy anyway um so I, I, you need to listen to yourself. You need to do the prep work. You need to like, you know, prepare for a water fast. Um, but there are clinical studies to say that if you fast, do a water fast once a week, it can extend your life for up to 10 to, 10 to 20 years. Yeah, That's like a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, so um, I think that there is some, not only have have I seen it heal people and I've had experiences myself, but there is evidence to say that one day of fasting uh, a week can dr drastically um, extend your life. So coming back to, to all these experiences and seeing how the water was helping people, and I went to the water and I'm like okay well, well you know what is it that is special about this water like I'm looking at it looking at an analysis and I think that's that's most people's go-to we read what's in the water um okay it's got why is its ph so high well because there's a, a lot of um you know uh, bicarb in the water and that's very alkaline there's some silica there's some this there's some that and they're all interesting but there was something in me that was like, this isn't the only thing. And I started looking at uh, Nikola Tesla's quotes, you know, if you want to know the secrets to the universe, look at frequency, energy, and vibration. I'm like, well, how can I find those things out about water? And then something dawned on me. Of course, all I'm looking at at an analysis is what water holds, not what water is. And I'm like, well, how can I know what water is? And if you go to a, to the world of science, I say, well, it's H2O. You know, it's two hydrogens and an oxygen. But then you talk to somebody else and they might say that, well, the two hydrogens are in the mode of levity and they're feminine and the large oxygen is the mode of gravity and it's masculine together to create balance and liquid water on earth. Like, well, that's an interesting perspective. But I was curious because my father is native New Zealand Maori and then we have a word for spirit, which is wairua. Wai means water and rua means two, two waters, the physical and spiritual waters. And I thought, how can I find out more about this spiritual water within water? A friend of mine thinks that hydrogen is the spirit of water and that plasma is the mind of water. And that water, the liquid water we know is the body 
of the that houses the spirit of water and that evaporation is um, essentially the sun which is a big ball of hydrogen bringing water back home because hydrogen literally means the creator of water so i became curious what makes this water different how do i know what water even is what do i even know <laughs> so i started to look you know well what's out there what what what's out there right now and back then which is a decade ago um, I was looking at Masaru Emoto's book on um, messages and water and his his microscopic work. And his work was very much in contrast, um, you know, love and hate, um, heavy metal versus classical music. And there's a little story more about that and my son later, which I will share. But um, there was a man that has some work that uses the same method, I guess, as Emoto did. Um, but his work really blew me away more so, I would say, than Emoto's work. Because Emoto's work, we also have to say, of course, the science community didn't embrace it. And the reason that they didn't embrace it was because he openly shared that he cherry-picked his photos to share the best ones for what he was trying to say. And that's not what would be considered scientific. Um, needless to say, regardless to say, on about eight photographs, eight contrasting photographs, Masaru Emoto became extremely well-known because pictures speak a thousand words and he really opened the doorway for people to see themselves as bodies of water that are sensitive to thoughts, to words, to environment. And with, it doesn't matter, to be honest, um, the how it all came about. What it did was really bring people into an awareness that by molecular count, not by volume, we're 99% water. That means that there are more water molecules in our bodies than stars in the Milky Way. And his work changed people's view of themselves and of water and for that I think he did a marvelous job. Laurent Costa is a French microscopic photographer who took microscopic photographs of flash frozen water like Masaru Emoto did and his approach very much resonated with me. He didn't want to experiment on water and I would suggest that I'm not going into this work uh, from the perspective of experimentation. And I have very, very big reasons for that. Um, one of this, the, in, in a nutshell, what I see is that water doesn't just um, react to consciousness, it responds to it. And if you have something that is responding to you, that is very much like a conversation. And because I see that water has living qualities, I don't want to be, I don't want, I'm not a body of water that doesn't want to be experimented on. So why would I want to experiment on something that is a life force energy of all life? That just somehow just seems to take away from the relationship rather than add to it. And Laurent Costa who's still alive, still with us. He has a book called Journey into the Heart of Water. Um, now, he um, was wanting to mainly be the observer as best that he could. He wanted to invite water to share whatever it wanted. He was just wanting to be the observer behind the microscope. So he too would flash freeze water, but he couldn't help but occasionally smile at the water before he froze it. And what he was seeing, as well as geometries like Emoto, he was seeing incredible imagery, like smiley faces smiling back at him. He was seeing hearts. He was seeing fish. He was seeing images, pictures that were relative to something he'd been thinking about that day, something he had observed that week, or something he'd done in the moment. And that blew me away because outside of being a water researcher, 
um, as so many of us are so multifaceted, um, I was also a professional oil painter for many years. So I see the world through an artistic lens. And to see images, pictures that looked like what the influence was or what he was thinking. You see this perfect heart or you see these cute smiley faces and you, you they make you smile back. You know, you have a reaction. So pictures are a very human thing. We are able and have been painting pictures in caves for so long. We've been creating these, these uh, the way we view the world through art. Art is one of the most sophisticated forms of communication. And why, why I say that outside of there so being so many genres of art that we get to express through our own expression and our own view is that there is an interpretation that is invited from art, which, which is a very different approach, I guess, to science, which is where there's more of a black and white, this is how it is sort of a way. Whereas with art, there's an invitation, the question, what does this mean to you, as opposed to how is this possible? How is this working? This needs to be this and this and this. And there is a, an absolute place for that. I'm not knocking science because I like science when it's true science. And so I think that um, art is a very, very sophisticated means of communication. So seeing art under the microscope, you know, that was amazing to me. And I had a fangirl moment when, when he actually reached out to me, which not many people have had heard of him, but I talk about him in, in pretty much all of my um, podcasts. Then there was, because uh, I'm a researcher, I was researching all about water and the various ways that it can store information. And I ended up coming across a man by the name of Thomas Hieronymus, and he was a radionic engineer. And he made a very interesting observation that when he went into a Parisian meat market on a very cold, cold, frosty day, he noticed that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. So the frost would freeze into the shape of a liver organ above a liver organ, for example. And he had this hypothesis that there was some kind of life force energy still emanating out of these organs, even though they were no longer attached to an animal. And he put that down to there being water in the blood. And water is always communicating to itself in one form or another. So liquid water can communicate with water that is frost, for example, or water that is cold in the air that we can't see and they're in a vapor stage, for example, or all these different stages, there is always a kind of com cross communication happening. So there's more detail to that. Like then people could say, well, what about ice? And there's, there's more there as well. But, um, but anyway, so he thought that the sonic signature, so all different organs of a body have something called a sonic signature, which is essentially, I guess, like a cymatic imprint for form and function. And that that was being shared with water in the air and the water in the air was now informed. And when it hit the glass, which was a medium for form to become in form with the information, it took on the shape of the organ. And that encouraged me at that early stage because he was seeing this with his naked eye. And 10 years ago, I didn't have a microscope. So I'm like, well, he's seeing us with his naked eye and the secret seems to be in the freezing where the unseen becomes seen. So I have a freezer, I have some water that healed me and I have a glass Petri dish because I was working on a separate project. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm going to project a thought into the water like, you know, Emoto did. I've got nothing to lose. Why not? Give it a go. You know, so I, I was holding my dish of water and um, and I've used all kinds of waters. People always say, do you only use spring water? Um, people are surprised to learn how much I've learned from tap water because I'm not looking at it from the perspective of drinking it. I'm looking at it from the perspective of what's, what its structures are, what the pitches are, and how they can change with different inputs. So, um, so I, I was holding the dish and... I noticed there was a little bit of fluff 
floating around in the petri dish um, off water. So I put my hand in to take out the fluff and I thought, oh, I wonder if my hand will have any impact on the water's memory. Um, so I'm like, oh, well, that thought will do. And I shoved it into the freezer with the peas and broccoli and ice cream and everything and forgot about it. And hours later, because that was all the way back when I would freeze water solid, which I haven't done in nine years. And I pulled it out, held it up to the light and took my very first photo of coming up to nearly 50,000 photos of water responding intelligently. Um, when you look at things from a scientific point of view, they like to see repeatability. I think of within the world of water crystallography, I have some of perhaps some of them, maybe I'm one of the person that has the, some of the most repeatability of, of, of all bodies of work because I am so prolific and because I have found that water communicates in three ways and two of them are very repeatable. So, and we'll, I'll talk about the three ways in a minute, but so, um, so I held it up to that, took a photo and that photo was of a hand the Petri dish was 10 centimeters diameter, so quite big, basically the size of my hand. And the um, ice image was half the size. So it was at least, you know, five centimeters big, which is very, which is macroscopically huge. I could easily see it with my naked eye. I was taken aback because of, it looked like an X-ray of a hand. I inherited my mother's crooked fingers um, on either side of my middle finger and the fingers were crooked on either side. So it wasn't just any hand, it was my hand. And when I showed my son, because I was almost in disbelief and I said, hey, Rama, what does this look like to you? And he's like, looks like a creepy hand, mum, <laughs> because it did look like an X-ray of a hand. And... And then I thought, well, of course, I, I, I allowed myself to feel all the feelings. And then I thought, oh, maybe it's just a coincidence, which is a logical thing to think, of course. So I thought, well, um, what water would be naturally informed? And I thought, well, it's got to be seawater because, you know, seawater's got, it's like source in a way, you know, it's so primordial. It's got all of these, you know, beings that live in there and so if I see if I collect some seawater and freeze that maybe I'll see something relative to the ocean and I didn't project a thought um, I wasn't even at that stage so much outside of projecting the thought of my hand I wanted to do something different I wanted to see if water just already had naturally inform information in it and that's why I used seawater for my second test so I, I put a very thin amount of seawater which I collected from the beach myself into the dish and froze it and tentatively sat outside of the freezer waiting, waiting and waiting. And then I mean, it got a cup of tea and came in waiting, waiting. And then I'm like, okay, well, I think it like probably should be frozen now. And I was nervous because I thought, well, if there is something here, then maybe this isn't a coincidence. And the second photo I took was of a clear fish there was the outline of a body with gills and fins and a perfectly round eye and a tail and everything. And that's when my freezer became my most used household appliance. And I would do this very regularly for one year, but I froze water solid because I didn't know any better. Mm. When I became more and more familiar with the new science of water and this fourth phase of water, I became more curious about when the ice was forming this transitional stage the stage of creation that i that you 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 read um in the bio and that's the stage between liquid and ice and dr gerald pollack who's a friend and mentor now um and you know i was so honored when i when uh, i heard him talking about me as a reference in one of his talks <laughs> that would have would have a dream so many years ago um so now, he talked about this fourth phase of water occurring um, in the stages in between the liquid and solid and solid and liquid in the freezing and the melting stages. So I opened my freezer earlier and earlier and earlier to see what was happening in there. And at about five minutes, I noticed there was liquid on top and ice underneath. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So I just took it out and tipped the liquid away. And I photographed the remaining crystallography, which is now my technique. It was a quantum leap from frozen water 
In fact, I look back at that year of work now and I'm literally amazed that I got the kind of imagery that I did, knowing now the process of how water freezes and the three stages of freezing. And um, that it, that that is really amazing to me because what we now have is very clear imagery. There's a lot of light that can come through the ice. The ice is in a fourth phase. It's pushed solates out, so it's actually extremely pure. Uh, and it's very clear. It's, there's a very big difference between ice that has clarity and ice that has um, got all the solates and it actually makes ice cloudy. The reason ice is cloudy is because of the minerals and salts or whatever is in the water. The stage I take the water out is where the water has clear. It's pushed all of those away. And the, the second and third freeze bring them, bring them in. So, uh, so the freezing time is different for each person's freezer. For different waters freeze at different times. So it's not as simple as just doing that. You do need to get those parts right. But anybody can do it. And I now have thousands of people that have got images similar to mine and that see one of three things. And when I teach the work, I always say you're going to see one of three things. You might see a signature pattern, which essentially means that each different type of water has a signature pattern. For example, uh, rainwater looks like a fanning pattern with a curve. Um, filter water, any water that's gone through a filter, tends to form compacted lines that are joined together. Uh, spring water forms what I call a star fern hexagon. But I call it that just because to me that's what it looks like. It looks like a star with ferns coming off each leg of the star. And if you put them together, it looks like a hexagon. Uh, and tap water looks very disordered, full of lines and dots. Now, if you let spring water, which looks like that star fern hexagon, and you keep it in a plastic bottle for a week, it will not maintain that beautiful large hexagonal pattern. It will start to degrade, and it degrades in two specific ways. One degradation ends up with it being a dot, and one degradation ends up with it being a line. And tap water is mostly lines and dots. It's a lot like Lego. You can have, like, you know, lots of Legos all over the carpet, which is a landmine for any mothers or fathers. You, you may have stood on those before. Um, or it is actually built into something rather sophisticated. And those levels of sophistication vary depending on where it's at in its degradation or its improvement because it can improve. So that's one thing that tap water has taught me. When you have disordered tap water and then you let that crystallography melt and then you hold it to your heart for a minute and or you do something like perhaps play some singing bowls or something very intentional. I like to have it by my heartbeat, lovingly, but um, and and then you refreeze the exact same water, and then you um, and then you pull it out, and you photograph it. What you see is huge change. You see the structures have started to form into ferns or small flowers, but the water hasn't changed chemically. So what we're seeing is something more akin to an emotion, which is why I call it the energetic state of water. So what we're seeing at the stage of freezing is the spiritual aspect of water. I think of the three stages of freezing, the stage where there's liquid and ice, the stage I take it out as spirit. The second one is where there are two, it's like an ice sandwich where there are two um, layers of ice with liquid in between. I think of that like blood. And then the third stage is the solid, which is like body. Mm. And so we are seeing incredible changes. But if you have the same tap water and then you let it melt and then do nothing to it, you keep seeing the disorder. Um, so, you know, you can you can have these ways of actually seeing that change really happens. So I hear that and it occurs to me that water, if it is corrupted, shall we say, wants to heal 
water is a self naturally will heal itself before it heals it in its environment this is something that I, not only i have seen i i have a friend who um he has a company called natural action tech where it's, it's like a cool little vortex so that you put water through um before you drink it and he was is an engineer and he was working with um a pl making a plasma unit working with water in a plasma stage which um was using like flada which is like a flame which is also like a laser and so it's using implosion cold implosion so it doesn't feel hot but it can cut things and it looks like a laser it looks like fire but it's actually water in a certain state um of a like a vibrational kind of vapor i suppose and that's one thing we don't, a lot of people don't realize because they think of water as this liquid, but it can be multiple things in multiple stages. And I think there's many, many stages we are not aware of, actually, that we will learn of later. Uh, but he was saying in his observation is that water needs time to heat, to, to, to rest. Mm. So you couldn't just have that machine going 24 hours because it wouldn't efficiently work. Water required at least half an hour each, every, every two hours to rest. And if he kept it going and going and going, water didn't just give up and go, oh, I'm tired of this or to do exactly what he wanted either. It actually gave us such a big pushback that there was one point where it just about gave such a big electrical charge back that it nearly blew their the hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of machinery up. And I've seen similar things with EMF. You know, years ago when 5G first came out, I got some spring water that I collected myself. I did um, a, a control. I hate that word, but you know what I mean when I'm saying that so that I could say, okay, here are the beautiful patterns of spring water. I know what this looks like. Here is what it looks like. And then I, I, um, froze I, sorry I went and I put the this container of water um, by the 5G tower and I did that for 15 minutes and also one for half an hour and when I tested them I saw that there was like a um, like a shock wave had gone through it so it looked just worse than tap water it was like uh, tap water usually has some small evidence of something that has some uh, life quality in it it might be lines and dots, but every now and then you might see a tiny little bit of like something that looks like a fern or something like that in amongst the dis the kind of disorder. But with this, I didn't see any of that. It was very similar to what I see when, I, when water has been microwaved, which is incredibly bad. So I let it melt and refroze it, let it melt and refroze it. For these kinds of things, I let it me, I can only do it for about maximum seven times because I don't use much water so when every time you tip some away you're left with less and less and less but it took at least seven goes until water started to come back to its living principles which was quite concerning but what was amazing and this is kind of jumping forward into a conversation we'll probably have a bit later is that in the last couple of years um I did the exact same thing. In fact, I went to the same source of water, got the same water, did the, the control. So, okay, here's the beautiful spring water, did the same thing, um, put it in, the, in front of the same 5G tower. And I ended up seeing, yes, here's the shock wave. Okay, that, that is the same. But then something very different had happened. Very different. The very next time, because I let that melt and I refroze it. What I saw with, was some disorder around two hydroglyphs. Now, I've said that water communicates in three ways. There is a signature pattern, which shows you the type of water it is. There is art that everyone knows my work from. Um, and it's not surprising that water designs in art for me, given that I'm an artist. It seems to relate to you the way you are and the way you see the world. And then there are hydroglyphs, which is a name I've kind of given to these symbols I see in ice. So over the many years, I've used all kinds of inspirations, should we say, including words. Words are kind of the most static version of the way we 
tell about the world. So, for example, the word tree has come from us having observed what trees look like. It has, it's kind of a diluted down version to, to simplify it in the most easy way we can communicate what we're talking about. And different languages, of course, have different depths of meaning. Like Hebrew is a very deep, deep meaning. Each letter has a meaning. So it's very deep. So I've used, used words in different languages, same word in different languages. Um, and so I'll write a word, put my dish of water on top of it for 30 seconds, which is not too long and not too short, remove, freeze. And if I see the same symbol appear at least 50 times using the same word influence, I have one hydroglyph. And I have other people around the world helping me in their own language to see if they'll see hydroglyphs for the, the word, that same word. And what's interesting is that when I we will see the same hydroglyph, for example, for say water, there's a hydroglyph for water, which looks like waves. But if you write the same word water in Hebrew, we'll see waves, but we'll see another couple of hydroglyphs. So it's suggesting that the, that it actually has a deeper meaning. Mm. So when what we've discovered is that for one symbol, there are multiple words attached to it, which relate to each other. So we've, I have about 40 hydroglyphs and with, with many of them having three or four multiple meanings. Um, and that means we are able to start to read this language of water and it gives a voice to the voiceless. Now, um, I'll explain that story soon, but I want to come back to the 5G. So what we saw in that second freeze were two hydroglyphs. The message glyph, which looks like a triangle with frills on the side, and these kind of things that look like almost like ancient writing on the triangle body. And then we have the live um the um information glyph separate. So we have an information hydroglyph and we have the message hydroglyph. So it's a message of information. Water is teaching and talk telling itself through hydroglyphs how to heal. The very next melt and freeze, what I saw was crystallography more beautiful than the very original spring water pattern. Whoa. Oh my God, that gives me so much hope, Veda. Well, what is the point of having memory? We talk about water memory, you know, what's the point of having it if we're not learning? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So water is, as humans too, you know, have find ways to heal and find ways to adapt. Yeah. We have adapted and adapted and adapted and we can adapt to this and I think that this discovery shows an intelligence far beyond what we could have ever imagined. Certainly 15 years ago and before I even started doing this, I could have, no one would have been able to tell me that this would be what I would be doing. But I, my mind is always blown and I am in tears often by just because I'm so, I'm so overwhelmed with joy for what water shows me in its simple, simple, clear way. Yes, yes. It is It is a sentient being, as I think Victor Schauberger would, would yeah, say. Victor Schauberger said that in every drop of water lies the Godhead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there is, I mean, we, we say this all the time, you know, there is no life without water. But there's also a, a saying, which is no life, you know, water, no life, which is N-O, you know, water, N-O life. But mm -hmm. if you change that around and play on words, you could say the knowing, like K-N-O, no yeah. water, no life. But there is no, literally no life without water, certainly not on this planet. And that means that water knows us. And when we look at water outside of a body and we see it flowing as stream or rain or however as the ocean, 
we don't associate ourselves with it and yet we can't live without it and every glass of water that is in front of us has been through the trees it's been through the earth it's been through the animals it's been through our ancestors and it's managed to find its way to you and when people ask me what's the best water to drink I, I tend to quote what a friend of mine said the water in your glass mm. because we are in the first world are very very lucky to be able to even have filtered water or water from a spring or wherever we get our water from but water that's clean enough to drink I spend a lot of time in India I've seen uh how people have to walk for so long to get water that might not even be healthy so and yet they have this relationship with the life force energy that is water you know if you if you have two people like the richest man in the world and the poorest man in the world and the you know there is a glass of water both of them are going to want it and if the, it's like the water becomes the most important thing in the world to anybody in whatever state or wealth or in a condition or religion they're in. If there isn't any water, that glass of water becomes everything and worth everything. We can't drink or live off physical money. If that was all taken away, we would need water to survive. Um, so there, you know, after seeing people do such long water fasts, um, you know, you can survive a long time as long as you have water. It is, it holds this life force energy, but I also think it has a lot to do with spirit. Indeed, indeed. And there are cultures, uh, European culture, not so long ago when people would gather around wells and streams and they would sing to the water they would celebrate. There would be certain times of the year when they would gather and do that. And they were really communicating with the spirit of the of the water. There's no question. It was regarded as sacred. Well, water wasn't even called water. Back in old England, old days, water was called the waters. Oh. Called the waters because it was considered a holy body of water. Water, we, we say, oh, there's a body of water. Why do we say that? We've given in, in the Maori culture, you know, there is the, the we look at the water as a living being. It has the headwaters, it has the water mouth, it has a body of water. And so this and it, and it is the house and houses our ancestors. So when you actually are lucky enough to have a glass of water, given that there is only about two percent of drinkable water on the surface of earth i'm not talking about primary water there's a whole that's a whole nother thing there is more drinkable water in the earth's mantle three times the amount according to science um, than all of the water on the surface of earth including the oceans inside the earth's mantle held within this crystal called ringwoodite and we when when and that is um water that has been made inside the earth's mantle it's not water that's come from outside of the earth and so science is on the fence as to whether water only came from space or whether it originated from the earth's mantle or whether it's a combination of both which is most likely either way it's somewhere that neither humans have been uh, and so i think that um this there is Whenever I've posted about primary water, which is what it's called, um, it, it just gets taken off social media with no explanation. And, and I think that the reason for that is where there's scarcity, there's value. People would have us thinking that um, we're running out. And yeah. yet, when you, you look at the term living or something, if something is alive, um, one of the prerequisites is that something like multiplies or um, you know has babies. Mm -hmm. When you look at water, look at how we conceive or anything in the world is conceived. Always, it's through eggs, or it's through you know through um, through pregnancy, like we understand it, or it's through those little jelly eggs that frogs have. But everything is. Uh, 
comes into this world through certain types of fluids. So when you think about these absolute fluids that give the housing for life, no, this is life force energy at its best procreating. You know, when you look at how a woman's belly grows, it grows also because the size of the baby, but there is amniotic fluid within that too, which is growing. And the amniotic fluid actually is the very first fluid of the cerebral spinal fluid in our body. So water itself for every child that's born is expanding and growing itself. Beautiful, beautiful. Let's finish here, Veda, for the first hour. This is absolutely fascinating. And in the second hour, I want to get into how to heal with water. I have more questions for you. So I will invite listeners to join us at themushroomsapprentice.com and sign up. And I will hope to see you there.